Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. So thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. We exist to amplify and humanize the experience of immigrants in the United States. Be sure to subscribe uh, at Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcast feed. We are literally everywhere <laughs> that you may get your listening, so you do not miss an episode. Today, we'll be having the story of Mr. Keith. Um, Mr. Keith Cunningham, who hails from St. Vincent, and we have with us today as well a guest host, Trisha McMurray, who is Mr. Cunningham's daughter. We are happy to have her on as the first guest host on the show, and um, you know this space is created for immigrant families, immigrants to come and share their experiences, so we are opening the space for others to be guest hosts as well. So Trisha, take it away. Thank you, Simone. Thank you. Hello, Keith. Hello, AKA Dad. How are you? Doing well, thanks, Trish. Hope you're doing well also. I'm well, thank you. Thank you for asking. All right. So again, welcome to another episode of the Immigrant Experience in America. As Simone said, we will be interviewing Keith Cunningham, aka my father, um, and his experience, his immigrant experience here in America. So to start off, I will just tell you a little bit about him. Keith Cunningham, after spending time preparing to sit the University of Cambridge examination in England and successfully passing the examination, he graduated and went on to work for the government in the Land and Surveys Department. There he was awarded a scholarship to attend training in the profession of topography in Trinidad and Tobago, another neighboring Caribbean nation. On completion, he returned to his position in St. Vincent. Soon after returning from Trinidad, he was called by the U.S. Embassy and granted an immigrant visa to the U.S. He arrived in New York in the middle of winter in January 1965 at the age of 26. After a brief stay in California, where he lived in a small seaside town called La Jolla, a few miles outside San Diego, he headed back east to New York City. While in California, Keith wasted no time in, in seeking employment as he was resolved not to be dependent on his great aunt. Having failed to find employment in California, he returned to New York in April of 1965, staying with friends until he could find employment. He finally got the air and understanding of a personnel manager in the manufacturer's Hanover Trust Company. 
He was offered employment working a midnight to 8 a.m. shift, for which he gladly accepted. He attended Brooklyn College during the day and worked at night and eventually obtained a bachelor's degree in economics with a minor in taxation. Keith was eventually able to switch over to daytime hours, where he worked his way through various supervisory positions. In 1972, he joined the rank management when he was promoted to the official title of assistant manager. He was put in several positions of responsibility and continued to get promotions. On retirement in 2005, he left as vice pre uh, president of J.P. Morgan Chase. He subsequently was invited back as a consultant of tax compliance. Keith got married in 1972, bought his first home in 1973, and moved from Brooklyn to Queens, in, in Brooklyn to Queens New York. In 1976, he bought a home in New Jersey where he still lives and where his and his wife's only child was born and raised. Again, welcome again, Dad, Keith Cunningham. Thank you, Trish. Okay, so let's, let's get started a little bit. Uh, again, tell me, um, where are you from? Where does your family originate? I was born on the island of St. Vincent. Uh, a Caribbean nation known as the St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Mm -hmm. Both my parents are from St. Vincent, and that's where I had my early upbringing and early education. So you're from St. Vincent. Um, uh, you're from the, the city or the, the country where, where, what part of St. Vincent are you from? I was born in a, a town uh, known as Chateaubelair, I had my uh, primary school education there in Chateaubelair, mm -hmm. but later moved to the city when I was admitted to the boys' grammar school for my secondary education. My parents subsequently came to live in the city because uh -huh. now we had my, my, my younger brother was also attending the grammar school and it was less expensive for them to be in the city than to remain in Chateaubelair. Nice, very good, very good. And so you, you said once you were in the city, you were um, at the boys' grammar school, correct? That's correct, yes. Mm -hmm. And you were there, so it's, it's in the grammar school, it's a total of five years? Five years, yes, five okay. years. Okay, okay. Um, and then from, from there, like how are things? So you, I believe you, you got the, uh, you, you were preparing uh, to sit the University of Cambridge examination in England? Yes, that's, uh, uh, it may have, I'm pretty sure it's changed now, but in, mm -hmm. in the time of my going to school, uh, the Cambridge examination uh, was the dominant uh, certificatory pass to graduate from secondary school. There were also some institutions that used Oxford, but uh, our school in St. Vincent used the Cambridge certification to graduate from secondary school. So that's what I prepared for uh, in the five years that I was at the St. Vincent Boys Grammar School. Okay, great, great. And so um, upon graduation, um, did you come to America right away or were you working in St. Vincent? No, on graduation, uh, I went to work uh, for the government. Mm -hmm. uh, the government was a primary source of 
employment. Uh, so I, I went to work for the government. I worked in a department known as the Lands and Surveys oh. Department. Okay. Okay. And um, so you were working in a land surveys department. I know you did spend some time in Trinidad as well. What, what was your, like, tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, I was, my employment in the lands and surveys department uh, involved uh, map, mapping the island and therefore topography was uh, essential part of what I was doing. I was given a, a scholarship to go to Trinidad for training in topography and land mapping. Uh, and I spent three years in Trinidad uh, doing that. Okay, okay. So then once you, once, so you, I believe while you were there, you had spent a short time with your uncle and aunt in, in Trinidad, correct? Yes, I spent a short time with them. Uh, they were a little ways outside of the city. Mm -hmm. uh, I later uh, moved from them and uh, stayed in the city where I was uh, in a boarding house. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. All right. So from, from Trinidad, I believe you briefly went back to St. Vincent before immigrating to the U.S., right? To America? Yes. Uh, my contract required me to return to St. Vincent and to continue my employment with the government in the Lands and Surveys Department. Uh, fortunately, though I was required to go back, there was no set number of years that I was required to work. Uh, I, uh, about two years after I returned, I got a call, well, well not a call, I got a letter from the uh, United States Embassy in Barbados advising that uh, the application my mother had put in for, for myself and my, young, young, my younger brother mm -hmm. was now ready to be processed. And right. I was given a date on which I was supposed to appear before the consulate. Okay, great. Okay, so 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 now we we lead into your arrival story, you know, immigrating to the US and you know, wanting to achieve the American dream. Tell me a little bit about your arrival story. Uh, when did you arrive? Where did you come to? Yeah, I came, I came, oh, I arrived in the United States in, in January, in the height of winter. Mm -hmm. uh, I, my final destination was California, but I had friends in uh, New York, Yes. And not knowing when I would see them again, if I was going to be resident in California, I thought I'd come and spend a few days with them here, meet, catch up with old friends and have some fellowship before leaving to go to California. Mm -hmm. That having accomplished that, I thought it best that I would, uh, instead of flying to California, take the, the, the bus where right. I could get off and visit uh, some folks along the way and at least get to see some of the United States uh, before my settlement in California. Very good, very good. So what was it, what was the experience like in California while you were there? 
what was your first experiences? Why well, I know so you first came to New York. You said in the height of winter. Did you have like your first experience with snow? Yes. Uh, How uh, was that for you? It, it it was a pretty uh, uncomfortable feeling coming from a warm climate. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, I was uh, somewhat prepared because there was this family that I knew at home who had recently come from America. And as a matter of fact, uh, I was even given a winter coat, which was I was really grateful for when I got off the plane in, in, at, at Kennedy Airport and right. I had something warm to wrap, wrap around me. But uh, yes, it was a, somewhat of a, uh, a new experience to me. And one of the things that I was always amazed at, if you're riding in, in, in a vehicle, uh, even in a house, the sun was bright outside, but you step outside and you thought you were in a refrigerator. So uh, I learned very quickly, don't uh, trust my eyes, go by my feelings. Right, right. Good, very good. So so in California, um, you, you spent some time there. Uh, you briefly spent some time with your great aunt, but you moved on because you didn't want to um, depend on depend on her too much. So you you moved out on your own. Well, I, I, I didn't move out on my own in California. Uh-huh. Uh, I endeavored to find employment in California. Right. It was not very easy uh, right. for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I was a new arrival in California. And at that time, there was a requirement for, uh, I think it was a three-year residency before you could get employment for the government or anything like that. I, uh, and uh, naturally, I didn't qualify for the three years. But more significantly, I was, uh, as a matter of fact, I turned 26 the year that I came here. And so I was eligible for the draft Mm-hmm. And because of that, uh, many uh, employers didn't want to touch me because they felt no sooner than I would be employed, I would be drafted, and there goes their investment. So it was difficult to find employment in California. And at that point, uh, I was encouraged with by friends to so, uh, come back to New York where the possibility of employment was going to be a lot greater. Mm-hmm. And while you were in La Jolla, how was that experience for you? It, it was a, a, a mixed feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I live in La Jolla. It's a, it was a pretty white dominant area. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of retired Sika, uh, Navy captains and so uh, were resident there. It, the population was mixed. It was white and blacks, but there was a it was a clear distinction uh, in terms of black and white. Oh, the, really? the blacks, uh, once they had property in that area, many of them were either maids to the white families, uh, chauffeurs, you know, gardeners, mm. and uh, that, that type of employment. Uh, and you could tell the tension was there. Uh, many blacks were... Uh, warned me to be careful about with my interaction with uh, whites and uh, they 
one one of the things that really uh, struck me quickly uh, was uh, this lady, in speaking to my aunt, had mentioned that she could not wait for her children to graduate from high school so that she could get them out of the house. And I found that that was such a harsh statement, realizing the, uh, the, the tradition from which I had come. Uh, right. Uh, of children stayed with their parents until they were ready to get married or, tra or you know, travel away from home or something like that. Uh, parents were never in, in any uh, anxiety to have the children leave home. So I found that was very, very, you know, somewhat of a cruel statement to make. And uh, I, I always remember that. Uh, so, so right, because like here, uh, it's about more about independence is defined on uh, based on getting out on your own at 18 mm -hmm. versus what you had experienced. Like you said, um, you could still have a sense of independence while still having that family structure. So I guess that was a little of a culture shock to you. It, it, it certainly was. It certainly yeah. Was. Now, also, the, the interactions between Black and white, would you accustom to this this same type of setup in St. Vincent? Oh, they, 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 I, I wouldn't say there was not any, you know, uh, uh, what should I say? Uh, there was no, there was bias in St. Vincent. It was not really a black or white. There's a certain amount of that, but it was not the uh, critical element. I think there's more uh, 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 discrimination between, you know, rich and poor, you know, the haves and the have not. Uh, uh, whereas here it was clearly uh, a, a black and white uh, distinction. But I have to say that uh, whilst it was, uh, that was evident in, to me in California, I have to say that I was fortunate in that I, I went to, uh, uh, I, I came from an uh, uh, evangelical background uh, coming from St. Vincent. Oh, you were Episcopalian, I, correct? I was Episcopalian and then went to an evangelical church. Oh. So I looked for something along that line when I came in. Fortunately, there was a Baptist church within walking distance from, from where I was living. Mm -hmm. I figured I'd go, and there's this black lady who wanted to go with me just for support. And she went with me. She was a good friend of my aunt. And she went with me for a Sunday to the church. And uh, I was welcomed. I, they asked me a little about myself and where I was from, and I told them, and they invited me to come back. And I have to say that they were very supportive to me. Uh, they included me in the gatherings. They invited me to join the choir. And when I was uh, leaving to come back to, to New York, they even had a gathering in one of their homes for me to, mm -hmm. uh, to wish me well. There's a family that I'll always be grateful for. They, they had uh, two daughters and one daughter and her boyfriend, the older, the older daughter 
uh, from time to time would come and pick me up during the week, knowing that I had no friends here and my brother was still going to college. They would come pick me up in the evening, sometimes when they're going out, to take me to social gatherings with them. And we formed a good friendship, a friendship that has lasted even today. Oh, it's amazing. Both sisters and myself are still in communication. Their parents have passed on, but we still remain friends even today. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, so very, so very early on from, from right away when you came here, you realized you were dealing with a culture that was very different uh, to the one that you came from, but nevertheless, you were still able to forge friendships uh, with, with people uh, in, in uh, California. Yes, uh, yeah, I was able to make some friends, friends in California. Okay. All right, so what was your American dream? And what were some, well, actually, this is a two-part question. So what was your American dream? What were some of the challenges you faced in pursuit of that American dream? And then the second part is, could you speak to the opportunities which came along to help you reach your American dream? So let's talk about uh, some of the American dream and some of the challenges that you encountered uh, first. Well, first, the first challenge was employment. Right. And, and as I said, it was difficult finding employment in California. Mm -hmm. uh, I came back to New York and friends, good friends of mine, as a matter of fact, they were actually my neighbors at home in St. Vincent. And they invited me to come stay with them until I could find employment and be able to be on my own. Uh, so I came back to, to, to New York and eventually I immediately started to seek employment. Uh, it was a little difficult, again, for the same reason as in California. I was of draft age and nobody wanted to touch me. Right. But I finally got the air and, uh, and should I say, maybe his sympathy uh, of a, uh, a personal manager. Right. Uh, he said he understood my situation. I was here, an immigrant, looking for work. And if somebody didn't hire me, uh, how would I live? So he said, okay, I'm going to take a chance, Keith. I'm going to hire you. And if they draft you, I'm going to come look for you myself. And he <laughs> said, said that naturally, kidding me. But yeah. he hired me, and the only position he could offer me at the time was uh, a position working midnight to eight. Yeah. I had never worked a night shift in my life before, mm -hmm. and so it was difficult, but I had no choice. I wasn't going to second guess it. I decided I'll take it, and I will we'll deal with it from there. It was tough. I... I uh, like I said, never having never worked a night shift, I didn't know what it was to sleep in the day. And right. so it was difficult sleeping in the day. And at nights when it was time to get ready to go to work, that's when I was most sleepy. So that was a challenge trying to overcome that handicap. Uh, I did make use of the time during the day afterwards 
to work towards my goal of getting uh, uh, the American certificate. They, at that time, the uh, Cambridge certificate was uh, not- That's from England, correct? From England, was not really looked upon or accepted. Right. And as a result, those of us coming here with that certification were required to do 128 credits or to get our bachelor's. So I knew that that's something I had to do. And so I set about to do it. I was able to register at Brooklyn College and then right. uh, I was able to use time in the day to get that started until uh, things had changed. So that was my first challenge, trying to find a job. And uh, secondly, trying to adjust to work in you know, a, a night job, something I had never done before. Beautiful, beautiful. All right. So what would you say uh, was the biggest challenge you had to overcome, biggest surprise, biggest shock, biggest area of adjustment? And what did you do? How did you overcome that? Now, I, I know you, like other West Indians, I, I've heard this before. You said you were going to school. And I had some others that had mentioned to me about in taking some courses, they were required to take ESL because they interpreted an accent as speaking a different language, so to speak. Could, could, did you experience that? Could you talk more about yes, that? that? That was one of my first, uh, you know, uh, uh, shocks coming back to New York. Right. I had gone to register for a credit course in English. And as I was filling out the papers, the conversation between myself and the person doing the registration, uh, she said to me, but you can't register for this credit course. Uh, you, you need to do remedial English first. You have an accent. Right. So I looked at her and was somewhat surprised and shocked because, you know, I didn't understand where she was coming from. So she said, well, you know, you have to do that before you can register. So I said, okay. I just determined I was going to go speak. Fortunately, there was what the college did provide a uh, foreign student counselor. Right. And so I went to see that counselor who advised, he said, Mr. Cunningham, uh, you will register for the course. I will take care of it. Uh, uh, you, no you no more have an accent than somebody from Brooklyn. And mm -hmm. there's nobody from Brooklyn that's been required to take a remedial English course. Right. She did uh, address it, and I was allowed to uh, do do the registration and did my English course. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was one of the surprises that I that that, that I had. And uh, so, so you had some culture shock and some of those experiences in terms of going to school, did you find any culture shocks or any big challenges, things that you had to overcome in terms of the workplace? In the workplace, that, that was uh, somewhat uh, a little difficult for me. Uh, I, I was working uh, in, in, a, in a department. I was new, it was new technology and everything to me. I had 
never, uh, first of all, it was in a completely different field to what mm -hmm. I had been trained in. Right. And um, we're working with machines and computers that I had no knowledge of. And so I was assigned with somebody who was supposed to train me. That was a little difficult because at times things would be done uh, as if I knew what was being done and no explanation. And it was, it was a little difficult. Uh, I, the, the, the shift was made up of uh, both black and white Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, my biggest surprise was the attitude of uh, my uh, black, black, black Americans towards me because they were somewhat, for the most part, very standoff and aloof and... And antagonistic, maybe? Well, uh, I guess I wouldn't say antagonistic, but not very cooperative. Mm -hmm. And eventually it all came out where one said to me, uh, you know, you West Indians come here and take away our jobs and you eat rice every day and next thing we know you all own houses oh wow that, so was, that, that must have uh, must have been definitely a, a shock that was a shock yeah. to me mm -hmm. and i realized what i was up against because uh working that ship everybody went for lunch together it wasn't that you had a separate time so everybody went to lunch uh, at, I think it was at, at 12 o'clock, mm -hmm. not sorry, not 12 o'clock, at 3 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And they, sometimes I would just hear the floor go quiet because you had lots of machines on the floor and so you could tell when they were shut down because everything got quiet. Right. And I would realize that it was quiet and I realized, well, they had gone to lunch, but nobody bothered to invite me to go to lunch with them. And that was okay because I had other friends, uh, West Indian friends that I knew working in the same building. Right. Uh, so I would just go join them and go for lunch. You know, uh, thank, thank God with, with time, uh, it changed and a couple, both white and black, did warm up to me and I was able to establish some relationships with them. Unfortunately, my supervisor was not much of a support. And right. as a matter of fact, we eventually, uh, I eventually had to go to the uh, vice president of the department to try to get things straightened out, which was straightened out eventually, and his attitude began to change towards me. And, and he, and this was a white uh, supervisor? The, the, the supervisor was a white person, yes. Yes, yes. Okay. So, so yeah, so you had some challenges. Um, however, I, I believe over time you were able to overcome those things. Uh, like I said, you originally you were at manufacturers and then um, there was changeovers and then through those changes, you were able to move up the ranks. You want to uh, tell me a little bit about that? Well, I uh, I eventually got uh, transferred. The, the opportunity came for me to apply for a position, a day position. Uh, at that time, I was walking downtown at night, and the position was up at corporate headquarters. 
in uh, Open Park Avenue. And so I applied for it, uh, got it, and so eventually I was moved to a day shift. Uh, right. That afforded me the opportunity to uh, go full time to college at night and be able to do more credits. Uh, and in by moving up to that de department, I was better uh, better prepared for whatever I was going to face. But to be honest, the environment was a lot better. I was yes. better accepted and and treated when I got there. And mm -hmm. eventually I was able to uh, walk my way through and eventually was uh, given responsibility as supervisory positions in different areas uh, and uh, walked my way through until I was uh, actually promoted through to uh, to management, my first title was an assistant manager, which I think I got in 1972, I think it was. Okay. And then, so, because you you were in Brooklyn originally, then you got married, and then you were still working there, you guys moved to Queens, and then even when you moved to Jersey, you were still work, working in New York, commuting back to New York, correct? Yes, I, I uh, lived in Brooklyn uh, and uh, got married in 1973, uh, bought a home in Queens, uh, and, uh, and, and continued to commute to the city for work. It mm -hmm. was a little more difficult, especially uh, the trip from school at night was a little longer, but mm -hmm. that was okay. I was prepared to do it. Yeah. And it all, it all paid off because uh, by going to school and uh, putting in my work, the effort at, 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 at work, I, I got several more promotions uh, right. and to the point that when I actually uh, retired in 1975, I actually retired as a vice president. Very good, very good. And then, and then luckily you were able to go back, come back as uh, in the capacity of a consultant. Yes, uh, after retirement, uh, I was asked to come back to do some consulting work in the area that I worked in before doing tax compliance and documentation. Uh, and uh, believe it or not, I was there for, uh, for seven years doing consulting work for them. Oh, uh, long time. I, I am not a person who like to sit around and twiddle thumbs. I soon found out that retirement is really not for me. Right, <laughs> so, right. So I was glad to go back. But when the uh, contract was up after seven years, mm -hmm. I still wanted to be active, wanted to interact with people. I like being among people like learning from people. And so I said, you know what, let me, uh, I wanna do something that I could do at my leisure and without much pressure. Uh, and so I decided to try real estate. So I went to real estate school, got my license, and then 
started doing some real estate. Uh, and, uh, however, after that long layoff from, from the bank uh, in uh, 2019, no, 2018, I got a call asking me to come back and do some consulting work again, which, oh, wow. I, which I did accept and was commuting again from uh, New Jersey to New York. And I did uh, 18 month uh, contract with them. Uh, very good, very good. So, so how do you feel about uh, achieving the American dream? You feel that everything has been fulfilled? You were able to reach the American dream? Well, I, it all depends on what you what you consider the American dream. Right. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not a. Uh, some people consider being extremely wealthy the American dream. Uh, some people uh, consider accomplishing what they set out to accomplish the American dream, regardless of what financial uh, benefits that might bring them. And I wanted to uh, come get uh, my degree, uh, make uh, progress in corporate America be able to provide for my family uh, in terms of shelter and, and provision. And I think I accomplished that. Uh, I admire greatly those people who go on to accomplish great things in the field of education and things like that, uh, maybe even in politics. Uh, but I, I felt that my goal was to get qualified uh, uh, and uh, be able to take care of my family and be respect, be a respected person, respected by my peers and in my community. Very good, very good. So after all of this, you know, coming to this country, going through challenges, but overcoming those things and achieving these things, what advice could you give a new immigrant that will help them to adjust to new culture or help them to become a successful contributing member of the American society? Uh, one of the things I would suggest to uh, immigrants coming to the States right now uh, is to listen, look, and learn. Mm -hmm. Observe. Because things are not always as they seem. Uh, and be careful as to how you use uh, phrase and greetings. Oh, well, you, well, you we actually actually got to the last part of the question. I was going to ask you the uh, far part, you know, what not to do. So, yeah, you, what were you saying? Yeah, to, to uh, be be careful how you use phrases and salutations that you are accustomed to in your home country. Could you elaborate uh, on that a little bit? One of the things that I uh, found myself somewhat in a little trouble with when I first came to the States, uh, we would normally greet others, friends and things, uh, and by the uh, expression, hey boy, how you doing? Or, boy, if you knew, you know, that, that type of salutation. Yeah. Uh, I quickly learned here that that was not the way to do it here. Mm -hmm. uh, the word boy having the uh, 
what shall I say, the, the, the belittling uh, connotation to it as uh, that having been used uh, by white uh, Americans to belittle uh, black men. Right. And so once when I did use it uh, to somebody not, ex not thinking that I was going to be insultive, I, I, they were greatly offended and was angry at me for referring to them as boy. Wow. Know, so boy. Another expression is that we typically use in the, uh, well, I'm not going to say the, the Caribbean because I can't say that for all the islands, but I know that in my country, they said, uh, you'd say you people, uh, in a generalized way, not having not uh, intending any uh, degradation or anything like that. And I used it once uh, in a group and uh, there are those who are offended that I refer to them as you people. So very I interesting. Yeah. Have to be very careful about using expressions or colloquial expressions or yeah. whatever you want to call it. But right, and, 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 and it's funny how even within the same language, because it's still English, but in one part of the English-speaking world, it could be interpreted one way and then another way in another area, in this case, the United States, it could be you know found to be offensive. So that's very interesting that you, uh, what, what you experienced with that. Very good, very good. Well, this has been a pleasure. This has been great having you on as a guest, as my father. Uh, I thank you again for coming on to the Immigrant Experience in America. And I hope, I hope you uh, were happy that you were able to share your story as well. Very happy to share it and hopefully it's helpful to others. Yes. This is Trisha J.C. McMurray signing off from the Immigrant Experience in America. Thank you, Mr. Cunningham. It was very intriguing listening in on your experiences and you're, you have a bit, quite a vivid memory being able to recall so much of the details um, of your coming and some of your experiences. Um, thank you for being very vulnerable and, and being open to share that and, and encouraging others coming behind us. Okay, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure for me to do it and hopefully it's helpful to, to somebody. Yes, yes. No, I, I have no doubt that this will resonate with quite um, a number of people listening in from your generation. And interestingly, for those of us who are younger, to hear what it was like for you back in the 70s, right? Yes. Um, some of the experiences, interestingly and sadly, could still be the same for those of us. I know I've experienced some of the similar interactions where I didn't feel supported in certain work environments throughout my time here. Um, so some of that is still going on. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as I can tell from studying immigration here in the United States, it's, you know, this, um, the relationship among different peoples has been a, a bit along that line over the years. And um, 
So we just, I guess, we just never had the conversation prior to migrating, but I, hopefully this space is now created for others to learn and to be aware from the start that, you know, these are the realities of what life is like here. Um, we're not trying to scare you. We're not trying to uh, deter you from coming. It's an exciting place to live here in the United right. States, but just be aware that there are some things that will help your experience be that much more uh, easier or manageable um, if you are aware of these things. Yes. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. You're welcome, sir. It's our pleasure. So join us next week for another story of another immigrant here living in the United States and sharing their uh, successes and challenges and, and sending out to you uh, some words of ex uh, encouragement on your path in achieving your American dream. If you would like to share your immigrant story on our podcast, feel free to contact us at 240-232-5579 or you can email us at info at thedreamacademy.us. Thanks for joining us again. Until next time, walk good and stay healthy. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.